Amen. This morning as we turn, uh, turn with me to James chapter 2, verse 23. I'm going to launch from there. James chapter 2 and verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. I think that's pretty remarkable. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. I've titled my sermon from this, word, uh, this verse essentially... Journeying with God's friend. It's a study on the life of Abraham. And this morning we're just going to go through a general introductory overview. Uh, that kind of lays the background uh, of this great servant of God. This great man of God. This father of the nation who, who comes to be known as God's friend. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. It's pretty amazing to be known as God's friend. It's pretty amazing. And in John chapter 15, Jesus actually talking to his disciples. He says, hey, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. It's pretty remarkable that we, not just Abraham, but we can be God's friend. Anyways, this next few weeks, we're going to look at the life of Abraham, the friend of God. This morning, again, like I said, it's more about the background. And I want us to turn to a couple of scriptures that Tell us about Abraham, primarily from Genesis 11 and also Acts 7. And then we got to kind of piece it together. But also a couple of other scriptures as well. Just now more than ever before, I feel... It's so important to study God's Word. Because it brings life. It brings life and it is the truth that we can base our lives on. Church, it tells us the truth. It tells us the truth. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we need to realize that in the, in the world we, we live in, it's harder and harder to find 
the truth and find someone who tells us the truth. Because we don't want to offend anybody, so quite often we choose to remain silent. That's why I feel it's so important to read God's word because it tells us the truth. It does not flatter us. Because it confronts us when we need to be confronted. It challenges us when we need to be challenged. It encourages us when we feel discouraged. It strengthens us when we feel weak. It brings us rest. It brings us life. Church, that's why it is so important to spend time in God's word. Make time for God and for his word. Genesis 11, 27 through 32. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Verse 31, Terah took his son Abraham, Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Church, as we look at the background of Abraham and, and study his life, You'd realize soon enough as you read his story that though Abraham was a great man of God and a friend of God, he was far from perfect. Yet, God chooses him and blesses him. And we benefit from this study or the story, his story. What you find is that you, you will find a, a man who came to know God and, and trust God and obey Him. And whenever I, whenever I study a character from uh, the Bible, I, I realize that I learn, yes, I learn about the man of God, but I also learn a lot about the God of that man. And that is my hope and my prayer that we learn more about Abraham but more than that, we will also know and trust and obey the God of Abraham. Amen. And honestly, that's the main point of the word of God. It's not about Abraham. It's ultimately about God. That's the main purpose of Abraham's life is so that we will know God. Now, Abraham was born and raised with, without any real knowledge of God of the God whom he ultimately serves and follows, which is kind of always fascinating for me to see where his life comes from and where his life ultimately ends. It's an incredible journey. 
starting with absolutely no knowledge of God, to becoming known as a friend of God. Not just an acquaintance, a friend of God. And as we start this journey, I want us to consider four things about his God that I think sets us up well. Because it not only plays up and shows up in Abraham's life, but it is true for our lives as well. And so I want to consider four aspects. Again, this is just four aspects of a limitless God. Four aspects or four attributes or four truths about God. Number one, I want you to know about God's love. God's love. God's love for us is not based on our performance. It is based in his nature. God's love for us is based on who God is and he is love. God's love for us. It's limitless. It's immeasurable. It's infinite. It's everlasting. It's unconditional. His love for us is not fickle, meaning it does not change, you know, like human love that's really strong and passionate one day and just disappears in a few months, I guess. I've heard people say this to me. If you only knew me, or if they only knew me, they would not, or they would never love me. But you can never say that about God. Because God knows all about us. He knows everything about us, and he still loves us. There's nothing we can do to make him love us any less, and there's nothing we can do to make him love us any more than he already does. He knows what is best for us. And even when we, lack of another word, throw that fit and walk away from what is best for us, he still never stops loving us. The Bible says nothing can separate us from his love when we are in Christ. Because he loves us, I can say this, that he cares for us. Because he loves us, he cares for us, and he cares about every detail of our lives. He cares about us. Why does he care about us? Because he values us. We are valuable to him. His love is total, like one servant said. His love is total. His love is complete. His love is perfect. And when we realize his love for us, we begin to pay attention to what he says and what he does. And that's what prompts us to obey him and rely on him. This brings me to my second point. First fact is his love, God's love. The second thing I want us to consider is his guidance. His guidance, the way God leads us and the way God guides us. We need to know that because he loves us, he will never forsake us. He will never tell us, okay, now you're saved, go figure it out on your own. He doesn't do that. We've talked about it several times. God does not woo us with his love only to abandon us to fend for ourselves when we come to him. Because his plans are far greater than our plans. He doesn't do that. Church, God is faithful. 
Because he loves us, he leads us and guides us. But here's the thing. Sometimes it doesn't go the way we think it ought to go. Sometimes his ways are not always the easy way that we like to take. Sometimes he takes us places we don't want to go. He takes us through places or situations we don't want to go through. And at times his, law, his guidance defies logic because it just doesn't make sense to us. The truth is this, and there'll be a number of people who will testify to this, because sometimes we get comfortable and sometimes we think we figured things out, but then he says, no, leave and go somewhere else where I'm telling you to go. That's where Abraham comes into the picture, because that's exactly what happens to him. At times he leads us to or uh, through things that we could never have dreamt of or even imagined. That's the way he leads us. That's the way he guides us. You know what I'm talking about. Because have you ever been in a situation where God tells you to do something and you go, uh, why? Or why now? Or why me? It doesn't make sense. God tells Abraham, go. Abraham says, where? He says, hey, just start walking. I'll show you. God tells Moses, go back to Egypt. Go talk to Pharaoh. He's like, hey, you got the wrong brother. I mean, I've got my wife, I've got my kids, I've got my nice flock of sheep. Why go back? I mean, he tells Joshua, you want to beat the city, conquer the city, walk around it seven times. He tells Gideon, you're going to take down that whole army, all you need is 300 people. The Bible is full of such examples, church, but the point is this. He loves us, he guides us, but sometimes his guidance does not make sense to us. And sometimes it actually leaves us more confused because we don't know, hey, this can't be it. But as we grow to know him more, we learn to trust his guidance, even when it doesn't make sense. We need to realize that God does not always paint within our lines. God guides us, but it's sometimes unexpected, sometimes unpredictable, sometimes inexplicable, sometimes unimaginable. And yes, it's a lot of surprises at times, but it's a lot of fun too. He has a plan for each and every one of our lives, church. We trust his guidance because he sees the end and we don't. We trust his guidance. We only see the here and now. That's why we trust him. Consider God's love for us. Consider God's guidance. And another thing I want us to consider is God's favor. The truth is God's favor rests upon us. God's favor rests upon our lives. God blesses us. Or God's blessings in our lives in ways that are immeasurable. As His children... His blessings, His favor are poured out into our lives in ways we can never think or imagine. When we least expect it, He pours out a blessing in our life. And the truth is, very often we don't do much to deserve it. The way God blesses His children just blows our mind away. That's just the truth. 
because we honestly cannot fathom the ways he blesses us. And sometimes we don't even realize that he's blessing us. And we just, you know, we take life for granted. We don't realize if it wasn't for God's blessing, we wouldn't be there. And I'm almost positive if I had to pass that microphone around, everybody can truly say, hey, God has blessed me. His blessings, of course, go way beyond just material, physical, or financial stuff. But in times of trouble, he gives us peace that defies understanding. In times of need, he provides for us from an unexpected source. In times of stress and anxiety, he blesses us with rest. It can go on and on and on. But have you all been in a situation, and I know I can say it several times in my life as I look back, there's no way it was me, it was all God. That's the way he blesses us. There's no way I could have done that on my own. It had to be God and it amazes me the number of times when I least expect it. I don't anticipate it. He just pours out a blessing on our lives. God's love, God's guidance, God's favor and lastly something that kind of for us to consider that kind of wraps these all together, kind of weaves them all together is God's grace. His love, his guidance, his favor, and consider his grace. God's grace, we will never deserve it. We can never earn it, yet he lavishes it on each and every one of us. Lavishes it on each and every one of us. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his guidance. We don't deserve his favor or blessing, yet he gives it to us. Why? Because of Grace. Grace. We don't deserve it. Yet he shows us his grace over and over and over and over again. I think all of us can testify to that. He loves us when we are pretty unlovable. Why? Because of his grace. He guides us even when we are rebellious enough to try it our own way. He doesn't quit on us or abandon us. Why? Because of his grace. He blesses us even though we have nothing to show for it. He still blesses us. Why? Because of his grace. And as we look at the life of Abraham, you will see these truths unfold in his life. And it's not just for Abraham. It's for all of us. Because he experiences the same things that we talked about. He experiences it and we experience it too. In our lives, just in a different way. His life tells us that he is loved by God even when he was not looking or seeking after God. And honestly, he has no clue who God is or who God was. His life also shows us how God leads him and guides him in this journey of faith. He learns to trust him more through that process. His life also shows us the story, tells us the story of God's favor. A favor that's shown to Abraham in spite of the ups and downs. The blessing that he enjoys. The blessing of having a son even in his old age. Like I said, those blessings are unexpected when you least anticipate it. And how God prospers him and makes him the father of the nation. Let me just clarify one point. As I was studying this and this message of Abraham, I know the great patriarch and the father of the nation of Israel. It's not me trying to make any kind of political statement given what's happening 
in Israel and Palestine. I'm not saying anything of that. The focus is God. It's about God who, because of his great love for his creation, reaches down into the ranks of humanity and chooses Abraham to bless him, that through him and his descendants, God blesses and saves the whole world. We are just looking at his life of this incredible man who chose to trust God. And he was called a friend of God. Just a side note here, because someone shared this with me years ago, and as I was preparing for this sermon, I came across it again. Because many times I've wondered why, especially as a, as a younger Christian, why did God choose Abraham, and why did God choose the nation of Israel? Why does he love them to a point where he calls them the pupil or the apple of his eye, basically, right? Why? The Bible never gives us an explanation, but there is kind of an answer. And turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. Why did God choose Abraham? Why did God choose Israel? Deuteronomy 7, verse 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you, Because you were more numerous than other people. For you were the fewest of all peoples. And then just the beginning part. But it was because the Lord loved you. I know that doesn't sound like much of an explanation at all. God didn't choose Israel. God didn't choose Abraham. God didn't choose Israel because they were more numerous than anything other. He chose them simply because he loved them. Why did God choose Abraham? Just because. Why did God choose Israel? Just because. There may not be a very satisfying answer to many people, but it's a sufficient answer for me. Because the older I grow as a Christian and a believer, I understand grace better. Totally undeserving. I grasp more and more the sovereignty of God and I become more and more comfortable with the fact that God does not owe me or anyone else an explanation. In fact, quite often I'm, I'm okay with no explanation because I know He can do whatever He chooses to do. He knows what is best and I trust Him. I trust His wisdom, I trust His plan and I trust His purpose. Again, church, please don't misunderstand me because... God is not an a arrogant, self-centered old man with a bad temper who wants everything done his way. He's not someone who just wants to impose his will on all of us. That's not him at all. But the more you know him, the more you realize that he's not like that at all. And I'm totally comfortable with the fact that God does not owe me an explanation for anything. And he definitely does not need my permission to do what he wants to do. I don't know why we think he needs our permission. All I do is trust him. Why did God choose Abraham? Just because. And I'm okay with that. Because you see that in Abraham's story as well. Time and time again, God is saying, hey, Abraham, trust me. And that's what we see. In his journey, he just learns to trust God more. 
Why did he choose Abraham? Because he loved him. Why does God choose me? Because he loves me. Why does God choose you? Because he loves you. And if I can say this, it's because you are worth his love. You are worth his love because he sees value in you. We may not see much that is lovely about ourselves. Of course, unless we are self-righteous, self-absorbed narcissists. But he sees in us worth. He sees in us valuable. We are valuable enough to him to love us. And the truth is this. He didn't just say he loved us. He demonstrated his love for us when he gave his son to die on a cross for us. We are worth something to him. That's why he loves us. Why are we objects of his love? Just because. Just because. It's a choice that he makes. That's why grace is even so much more amazing. Because there really isn't even one reason I can come up with to say I deserve God's love. That's what makes grace amazing. Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, the story is about, again, it's about Stephen and he's been arrested and uh, he's about to be stoned to death and we know the story, he's been about to be stoned to death because of faith in Jesus Christ and, uh, uh, and the religious leaders kind of give him a chance to defend himself and say something, I guess, any last words and interestingly, where does he begin? It begins with the beginning of their race. Chapter 7, verse 2. To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. Before he lived in Haran. Now Mesopotamia, I know that's a big word that most of us can't spell properly. But we don't know much about the region. I mean, we kind of have an idea. Yeah, it's somewhere in the Middle East. And, and, and whenever we think of the Middle East, we think about desert and sand and dry and hard. But honestly, Mesopotamia was anything but a barren piece of land with a few people living there. No, it wasn't. It was pretty, pretty much a thriving city, especially Ur of the Chaldeans. It's one of the cities in that, in that time. It's a pretty uh, lively city. And that's where Abraham is from. It's a bustling city. And that is where it says the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. Notice here, it's not Abraham looking for God. It is God who appears to Abraham. It's like we were talking about earlier. That's what grace is all about. Same thing, church. God does not seek and find us because we beg him to. He found us on his own and chooses to shower upon our lives his love. That's what grace is about. Verse 3. Leave your country and your people. God said, and go to a land 
I will show you. Here again, first we notice God does the choosing, not Abraham. Here we notice again, God tells him, go, but doesn't tell him where he's going. He says, leave and go, and I'll show you. And you see God's love here. Again, you can't explain it besides grace, and we see his guidance, you know, God's love in choosing him, and we see his guidance when we don't understand it. But that's how God works. Verse 4, so he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. It's kind of really interesting, especially if you study Acts and study where Stephen is coming from, because Stephen reminds his religious leaders, who kind of, and he kind of challenges them. You guys think that the whole world revolves around you, but the truth is this. You didn't do anything to earn God's favor. You are living in this land. Why? Because God called Abraham, not your righteousness. God led Abraham to this place. You've done nothing to deserve it, and that's what he's reminding them. You did nothing to earn it. It's because of God's covenant to Abraham and his promise. Verse 5, he gave him no inheritance here, not even ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land. I mean, we look at the promise a little more in detail as we go on. Promised that he would bless those who bless him. He would curse those who curse him. And he would give Abraham and his descendants the land. It's a great promise, but there's a practical aspect of it which God seems to be missing. Abraham's what? 75 years old when he gets that promise. Sarah's 65 and they don't have any kids yet. And I can easily imagine Abraham hearing this. I will give you the nations. And he's like, okay, God, let's just start with one first, you know. Looking at Sarah and they're kind of thinking the same thing. What does God say essentially? Hey, trust me. Trust me, Abraham. I know what I'm doing. Five years later, Abraham's 80 years old. No son. God says what? Hey, trust me, Abraham. And he trusts him. Trusts him sometimes more than other times, right? Ten years later, he's 90 years old, still no son. He looks up in God and God says what? Trust me, Abraham. Ten years later, he's 100 and Sarah's 90 and then God says, it's perfect timing. <laughs> Y'all are going to have a baby. 100 and she's 90 and one person put it this way. They were really talented because you have to be gifted to manage a walker and a stroller at the same time when you're 100 years old. God's guidance, what an amazing plan, but it's not how they would have planned it at all. But was it a blessing in ways that even Abraham could never have imagined because we are sitting here today in America because he chose to trust God Amen. at his word. We enjoy the blessings Amen. of what God blessed him with. Amen. Unusual plan. His guidance doesn't make sense, does it? Church, the whole walk of faith doesn't make logical sense. Even now, you may not understand how it works. And for sure, people will never understand how it works because they have no relationship with God. I bet some of his friends, uh, Abraham's friends, looked at him and, you know, he's probably 99, and they look at him and say, hey, you still trusting God? You still holding on to that promise? Abraham, yeah, for sure. God's leading doesn't always make total sense to us, church. God's plan never makes sense to those on the outside who don't know him. 
but we trust him. We trust his promise against all odds. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. The Israelites and the Hebrews have moved into the promised land. We know the background. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of them have come and gone. Even Moses has come and gone because he didn't enter into the promised land. Joshua comes in with the Israelites. They, all the enemies have been driven out. And, and now Joshua kind of addresses, you know, all the tribes are gathered together. And he addresses all the tribes. This is chapter 24 at the end of his life in verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nehor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. It's interesting as he keeps going in that passage that he reminds them that they didn't do anything to deserve it. It was all because of God's promise and faithfulness to Abraham. But the part right there. They lived below, I mean, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. They served other gods. I told you earlier, they were not looking. Abraham was not looking for God. In fact, some sources say that Abraham's father, Terah, was actually, uh, he worked making idols. He carved them out of wood or stone or made them out of metal, whatever. That's Abraham's background. That's his culture. That's his roots. He was an idolater. Just like his father and everyone else around him living in the land of Ur, where the chief god was actually the moon goddess, who they called Nanor or Ningal. And they worshipped her. And who knows how many other gods they worshipped. It is where Abraham grew up. That's all he knew. Yet in the midst of all that idolatry, God reaches down and chooses Abraham why? Just because. He chooses to. He has a plan and he chooses Abraham and unfolds his plan through him. An idolater. And you realize idolatry is one of the most detestable things. If you read the history of Israel, every time they bow down to that kind of thing, they're punished. But Abraham, he learns as you see, from that one point of the call, he learns that there is only one true God. Does he get it right every time? No, he doesn't. Story of Abraham, anyway, it starts with Genesis chapter 11. You see his background. It starts with Genesis chapter 11 where we introduce and it ends in Genesis chapter 23. There's little we know about Abraham beyond what the biblical narratives are. But we see as we come, Genesis 11, Genesis 12, we see that the covenant that God makes with Abraham. The covenant, of course, becomes the central piece of his life. It is the single most important promise God makes with him. He made his covenant with Abraham. And please understand, this covenant is an unconditional covenant. There are places where God says, hey, you do this and I will do this. But this is an unconditional covenant that he makes with Abraham. I will bless you. We'll go into details later. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. Through you, the entire world will be blessed. And so you see from Genesis chapter 12 all the way to chapter 21, it's a build up. 
to the fulfillment of the covenant which we see in the birth of Isaac. The birth of Isaac, of course. He's 100 years old and Sarah is 90 and we go all the way from there to Genesis 25 verse 9 where Abraham is buried in the cave of Machpelah. And along the way, we will see the highs, we will see the lows, we'll see the tests, we'll see the successes, see the failures of this man of God who comes to be known as God's friend. Real quick again, turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. We see the background he came from, total idolatry. From everything we know, we know that he lived his life there. And his father was from there. We just talked about the business, most likely what he did. And so he was a carver of idols. And there's no doubt that he brought up his kids in, in, in what he knew best at that time. Terah becomes the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Verse 27 tells us that he had three kids. Abraham has two other brothers, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And uh, Haran has a son, Lot. Verse 28, it tells us that Haran dies while they were still in Ur of the Chaldeans. We don't know why, we don't know how, nothing's explained to us. But we know that Lot is left, left behind, I guess, or left there. And he is invariably and ultimately taken care of by his uncle Abraham. Drop down to verse 30. Verse 30 tells us what? That Sarah, Sarai was barren, she was childless. Verse 31, Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to, Can uh, to Haran, they settled there. They set out. And we know that they didn't know exactly where they were going, like some people say, you know, they went going without knowing. And God does that from time to time, even in our lives, where we go through something, we have no clue why. But then later on, we look back and then we go, okay, now it makes sense. At that point, it didn't, but now it makes sense why that happened. They go to Haran and they stop there. And it's kind of interesting that the author of Genesis, who I think is Moses for sure, puts this in there, that they set out from Mesopotamia from the Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. But when they got to Haran, they settled there. It wasn't God's perfect plan, and we'll talk about that in another sermon. But we see that background, and then we come to chapter 12, and we see the covenant. And let me read that real quick. Genesis chapter 12. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. An unconditional promise. An unconditional covenant. And if you have a doubt whether the covenant was important to Abraham, you see it time and time again. First said in chapter 12, but again, it's reaffirmed in chapter 13. It's reaffirmed in 15. It's again in 17. And of course, in 22. It's pretty obvious that the covenant is at the heart of his journey of faith. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. And through you, the entire world will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. No pressure, Abraham, but the whole prophetic plan of the world revolves around your faith and obedience to the covenant. God chose Abraham 
And he tells Abraham again and again, over and over again, hey, I will give you a son. I will give you a son. Four times before it's really fulfilled in chapter 4, chapter 21, uh, 22. And then you come to chapter 22 and, man, God asks the unthinkable. Can you imagine a hundred-year-old man with a baby? I mean, that miracle. How much that baby meant to him. How much... If I can say he idolized that boy whom they called Isaac. And you know why they called him Isaac, right? Because when God comes and tells him, he, he like him and Sarah laugh about it. And like, okay, you laugh about it. And I call him laughter. That's what Isaac means. But you understand how much that is, how much that means to him. And that's why chapter 24, 22 is so challenging. Because God says, sacrifice your son. Sacrifice this son. Take your son. Take the wood. Take the fire. Take him up that mountain and sacrifice him to me. And I can't even imagine what that felt like or what that feels like. But by now, God knows and Abraham knows and trusts his God well enough that he makes that trip. And we'll get to that chapter and that story in the study, but why does God really do that? We'll get, again, like I said, we'll get into the ethics of that later. But God needed Abraham to be sure that God was number one in his life. Again, we've got to hang on. One more scripture that I want to touch on before we close today. Romans chapter 4, 18, I think this is the most important one for us. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Against all hope. Romans 4.18. Against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Verse 19. Without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Verse 20, this is the amazing part. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Now this part, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Hallelujah. Now think about where he came from. No idea, no clue about who God is. He gets to a point where he is fully persuaded that God will do what he promises he will do. It's amazing, his journey, church. Called from a total pagan background and in the, prog in the process of being chosen by God and called by God, it's his journey of trusting God. His faith comes to this point when he's 100 years old. It says, without weakening in his faith. Verse 20, yet he did not waver with unbelief. 
Where does he come from and where does he end up? Fully persuaded, totally convinced that there is no doubt that God will do what he promises he will do. There's no doubt, church. 25 years later, God fulfills that promise. But there is no doubt by this time. He takes God at his word. That's where his faith has grown. And that's the challenge for us as we study his life, for our faith to grow to a point where we take God at his word where we are fully convinced that God will do. God has the power to do what he promises he will do. Let me conclude with going back to the beginning. By faith, we accept his love. Abraham's life, it's all about faith. How does it apply to us? By faith, we accept his love. We have to do it by faith because, again, I said this earlier, I cannot think of a single reason why God should choose me. He does because he loves me. Why does he choose me? Why does he not kick me to the curb? Why does he not quit on me? Why does he not just abandon us even when we fail time and time again? Because he sought us out. He chooses us. He knows everything about us, but he still chooses to love us because he still loves the world that he gave his son Jesus that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting eternal life, basically. By faith, we accept his love even though we feel unlovable. By faith, we accept his love We don't deserve it. We can never earn it. Yet he willingly gives it to us, church. That brings us to the second point. Because he loves us, we choose to obey his leading even when we don't understand it. We follow his leading. We follow his guidance by faith. By faith. Again, I can think of several occasions in my own life where God lead me or God spoke to me telling me to do something and and it didn't make sense at all. I mean, I didn't jump and go. I mean, I prayed about it, sought godly counsel. But I obeyed because I choose to trust his guidance. I choose to trust his guidance. I choose to trust his love for me because I know he will not take me to a place where he can't take care of me. He'll never lead me through a situation or guide me through a situation where I have to do it all by myself because he is with me. I trust his plan because I know he loves me. I know he knows what's best for me. And so by faith, I take that step of faith and follow his guidance, his leading. I trust his love. I trust his guidance even when I don't get it. When I least expect it, I trust him to bless me. I know he loves me, I know he guides me, and I know he will bless me so I can anticipate his favor upon my life. We can anticipate his blessings in our lives. Quite often, you don't even know 
This is just the truth. You don't even know, we don't even realize how much he has already blessed us. And we cannot fathom the blessings he has in store for us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, church. That's his promise. We think we know, but we really don't. Could Abraham have imagined us sitting here enjoying the blessings of God because God chose him? I don't think so. If he can bless him in such a way, just imagine how much he can bless us and through us how many other people will be blessed. God blesses us. God loves us because we are chosen by him and we are of value to him. Please get this. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. I want to end with this illustration here. A thing is given worth when valuable people ascribe value to it. Let me say that again. A thing is given worth when valuable people ascribe value to it. And he uses an example of if you were a young artist and you're having, you display all your art in a park somewhere. You display all your art, you're this novice, you're this newcomer, rookie, whatever. And you're there and people come, yeah, they look, but they really don't say anything. You know, and they walk on. But then one of these great painters like Michelangelo, someone comes along and he looks and he stops and he says, wow, I will pay you a million dollars for it or whatever. Guess what people are going to do? They're going to stop and notice. They're going to see the value in something because someone else saw value in it. Our lives are valuable because someone thinks our lives are valuable. God thinks our lives are valuable enough for him to choose us, to love us, to guide us, and to bless us. Nothing in us at all. What is valuable? You got to realize that, church. doesn't matter. Other people may never, I mean, people may never appreciate it. I think about Aiden and his stuffed dog, Bowser. I wish I'd brought it. I forgot to. His stuffed dog, Bowser, is this big. It can't even hold it. It's a dog, basically. It can't, it's a beanie baby, right, Alyssa? It's like a beanie baby. And he's held that with him for years. He's 10 years old, but it's still with him in his bed. The head doesn't even stand up straight anymore, but it just like flops around like this the whole time. Yet, it's valuable to him because he gives it value. Just think about God that same way. We are broken, messed up, all bent out of shape. But we are valuable enough for him to love us, to choose us, to guide us, and pour out a blessing on our lives. Journey with me as we study the friend of God. Bow your heads with me at this time. God thinks that you are worth it. Now we sung that song earlier about God's love, the overwhelming love of God. 
We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. Yet he gives it to us freely because he sees in us worth. That's the most important thing, church. His love for us. I know the, the words of the song say reckless love. Yeah, not really reckless. He knew exactly what he was doing. Amen. It was for you. It was you. You were on his mind all along. Why? Why does he choose us? Just because. morning accept his love by faith you may feel undeserving of it you may feel there's nothing lovable about you but we accept it by faith that's what grace is about and I don't know by the end of this series whether someone's going God's going to hey you know it's time for you to pull out and go somewhere else I don't know I hope not but I pray you know him well enough to trust him to guide your next steps even though you don't see it even though you don't understand it and it defies understanding you still choose to love him by faith you still choose to obey him by faith and know that his favor and his blessings rest upon you I am blessed beyond measure. I know no matter how hard the situation we're going through right now, we can all really say, God has blessed me. It's immeasurable. It comes in unexpected ways, but I'm ready. I give him glory for everything because it's not me, it's all God. And his grace he lavishes on us. Don't try and earn it. Don't try and work so hard so that you can get it. You just accept it by faith. That's that we can brag about to say, okay, I deserve it. No, not really. If we're honest enough, you realize it's God. All we got to do is accept it by faith. Lord, thank you, God, that you saw worth in us. You saw worth in me. I was valuable enough for you to send your son to die on that cross for me. I pray, God, that each and every one of us, God, will just be and every one of us will experience your love. Even when it doesn't feel like it and even though I don't feel I deserve it, that we will by faith always remember that you love us. And I pray, God, that our faith will grow to a point, God, where we will learn to trust you your plan, trust your ways, God. 
trust your promise that our faith will not weaken lord that we will be totally convinced god that you are powerful you have the power to fulfill what you promise that we will trust your guidance and teach us to lord to just live in your favor in your blessings we are so grateful for we thank you father once again for grace 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 a free gift to all of us thank you father once again lord i pray god that you just that the, your word will just work in our hearts till we meet again god may christ be glorified remind us of your love remind us that you never forsake us that you lead us you guide us and i pray your blessing upon your church in jesus mighty name and everybody said amen 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 god bless you it's good to see david and sony back god bless you guys hey we have a quick meeting right up front so that'll be great thank you